God's word. Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you again for another opportunity to take in your word. We pray, Father, that you might, uh, the word of God might go forth with power, accuracy, and clarity. I pray that you might encourage the born-again believers in uh, realizing that uh, we do have the victory through Christ's sacrifice over the flesh. And we thank you, Father, uh, for that provision. Help us to understand how to utilize that provision by faith. Sanctify the believers here through your truth, because your word is truth. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, we left off last time in Romans chapter 6, so let's take a look, if you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, this section of scripture, we're dealing with sanctification. And as you know, our walk through Romans, um, the key word is righteousness. God's righteousness is revealed. And justification. And the word justify means to declare righteous. We covered that in chapter 3, verse 21 through 521. Uh, we have imputation, that great chapter on imputation, Romans chapter 4. And then the word reconciliation in chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. So that's uh, dealing with our uh, initial justification. Now we're going to deal with sanctification in chapters 6 through 8. So we are in the sanctification section of the book of Romans. We need to realize that the old sin nature has been judged. We can look at Romans 6 as the mechanics of spiritual life. And I love Kenneth Wiest, uh, his commentary on Romans. Uh, he explained it this way, Romans 6 through 8. Romans 6 deals with the mechanics of the Christian life, the how-to, the failure of self-dependence, <laughs> the monkey wrench thrown into the machinery, <laughs> uh, the good that I would do. We have the word I as a key word in that chapter, I, I, I. And then the power the dynamics of the Christian life. So we need the power uh, to live a Christian life. The Holy Spirit is prominent in that chapter, in Romans chapter 8. Another way to look at it, in Romans chapter 6 through 8, we have the crucified Christian in Romans 6. Uh, the judgment of the sin nature is the key word in this chapter. Uh, the fact that the word sin, by the way, is used in the singular he doesn't say sins here uh, all the way through Romans 6. I think there might be one or two exceptions, but I think 90, 95% or more of the term sin refers to the nature of sin. Uh, therefore, the word sin nature, sin singular, is used 17 times more than any other chapter in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 7 uses an additional 14 times sin. So if you're studying this section, look for this word sin, 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 sin. And it's a nature of sin. So we have in Romans 6 and 7 a total of 31 times, 31 times we have that sin is used. Um, for instance, in Romans 6, uh, we have here, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he goes on and talks about um, the nature of sin. 
Then the frustrated Christian in Romans 7, uh, the self-reliant Christian, the idea of Christian trying to live the Christian life in self-dependence, just try harder. How many times have you heard that? Just do it. <laughs> just do it. How do you live Christian? Just do it. Try harder. Pray more. Study the Bible more. Uh, you know, and the problem is it's depending on self and that will always uh, leave you disappointed. As Martin Luther stated uh, in his hymn, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. <laughs> we can't live in self-dependence. We have to live in dependence upon the power of another, and that's to walk by faith. We walk by means of the Spirit, and we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the idea of I is used 33 times. 33 times. And I think I is distinguished with two natures, the new and old nature in Romans 7. Especially once you get to uh, chapter uh, 7. When we look at um, chapter 7, verse uh, 14 and following. 14 down through 25, we'll see the two eyes there. Victorious Christian would be uh, chapter 8. And that term spirit is used 21 times. More than in any other chapter in the Bible. So if I ask you the question, what chapter in the Bible deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit more than in any other chapter, you probably think, well, Acts, maybe Acts or, you know, um, 1 Corinthians or something like that. But it's really Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, Holy Spirit's used 21 times. So that's the emphasis there in the sanctification section. Now, we're going to look at Romans 6, and he's going to contrast who you were before you were saved. He uses the term old man. Now, the old man is distinguished from sin singular, the old sin nature. The old man is a picture of the unsaved person having a sin nature that's dominating them. And so that's the whole composite picture of the old man. So we have the unsaved person, sin nature, and we have the analogy of a master and slave. A master completely dominated and dictated to the body what to do. And therefore, there was no other option to live righteously when you were unsaved. Now, you can do moral things. An unsaved person can be moral, but realize that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 so the old sin nature can manifest itself in overt evil or religion, by the way. Um, and there's a strong aspect of the old sin nature and a weak side of the old sin nature. So the old sin nature is still dominating and controlling the body. The body is completely a slave. <laughs> so if, uh, and I'll, I'll give you the analogy maybe uh, of a drill sergeant. Uh, when you're in the army or in a service, uh, there you may have uh, gone through basic training, and there's a drill sergeant there screaming out orders. I heard that they don't do that anymore; or they have modified that. That's a shame, but uh, <laughs> the, the drill sergeant—they have softened that kind of. But the drill sergeant there is barking out orders, and you know, you know, uh, drill sergeant yells out to do 20 push-ups. Yes, sir. And the drill sergeant tells you to, you know, do whatever. And you say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, say, though, that uh, once you got out of the service, you met the same drill sergeant at the store. (laughs) 
and he told you to do 20 push-ups. And you say, I'm a civilian now. I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> you can't make me do anything. Now, someone may be intimidated and with bad memories. They think, well, I'm going drop it. Get down, drop, drop and do 20. Uh, but legally, uh, you no longer have that, uh, that relationship you had once before. And he's going to give a similar analogy here. Legally, we are no longer under the domineering tyranny of the old sin nature. That doesn't mean that we cannot listen to the old sin nature. And it doesn't mean that we cannot continue in sin. We can as believers, but we don't have to. That legal relationship has to be broken because of this. We'll we'll learn about our co-crucifixion. Jesus Christ not only died for our sins as our substitute, he died unto sin. He judged the sin nature. And so because of Christ's death, the mastery of the sin nature where the body has been broken. Now, after you're saved, you have a choice to listen to the old sin nature, listen to that former drill sergeant, or listen to a new master, a Lord. And therefore, the body can be either a slave of the sin nature, or the body can be a servant of the Lord. And so you have options now once you're uh, born again. And when you submit, the body submits to the Lord, then that sin nature is rendered inactive. The sin nature never goes away, but we can nullify its effect. We can nullify its effect by realizing our new relationship to the Lord. We have three words that are important in how to apply this. We have the word know. We need to know something. Romans 6.6. 6. Let's take a look at Romans 6.6. 6. Knowing this, we need to know something, that our old man was crucified with him, who you were before you were saved. That the body controlled by the sin nature, body of sin means the body dominated by the sin nature, might be done away with. I would translate that word rendered inoperative. Um, you don't eradicate the sin nature, it's rendered and nullified ineffective because all sin. So, um, that we should no longer be slaves of sin in Romans 6. So, the idea is slavery to the old sin nature has been broken. And therefore, when we submit to the Lord and yield to Him, the sin nature's uh, mastery is rendered inactive. So, we got to know. We also need to reckon, Romans 6.11... I'm using the New King James. Uh, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. So we don't reckon that our sin nature is dead, but we're dead to it. We have a new relationship to to the sin nature. And therefore, we are to do that by faith. You know, how you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, realizing that the sin nature's power has been broken, and we apply this by faith. We're now alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have to know, reckon, and then yield. We yield uh, our bodies to him. And notice in Romans six sixteen, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So we need to yield our bodies as alive unto him. We are to present our bodies as weapons of righteousness to God in Romans 6.13. Now, another way to look at it is a stop sign. 
a stop sign. So every time you see a stop sign, you should think about the Christian way of life. <laughs> it's quite often. In Romans 6, the Bible says we are to reckon, that's something positive, we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed in sin and alive unto God. Romans 6.11, that's the go part. The uh, red part is we are to stop allowing the sinful nature to reign as king in your mortal body. This is Kenneth Weist, his, tra- his expanded translation. Stop. Um, Romans 6.12, uh, the King James says, Therefore do not let sin reign in, in your mortal bodies. Don't let sin reign as a king. Uh, the word stop can summarize that phrase. Stop, therefore, allowing the sin nature to reign as king in your mortal body. Stop putting your members at the disposal of the sin nature as weapons of unrighteousness. Romans six twelve and 13. Now what about the yield sign? Uh, that's in Romans six thirteen. Yield yourself unto God and the King James and your members as instruments of righteous unrighteousness, members of righteousness unto God. In Romans six thirteen, yield your members servants to unrighteousness. So there you go. We have go, stop, and yield. <laughs> and uh, that is how we apply our co-crucifixion. We need to know some things. And it's unfortunate that born-again believers live in frustration because they're not aware of what the Lord has done in regard to the sin nature and how we can have victory over the flesh through the power of another. Now, the key word, Romans 6, one of the key words is Christ. Now, we saw that the word sin is also mentioned as a key word in Romans 6, but we also focus upon the person of Christ, what Christ provided in the judgment of the old sin nature. We're crucified with Christ, and we identify with him and his provision on the cross. Romans 7, we had the word I used 27 times. And then Romans 8, we had the spirit, word spirit 19 times. So Christ made the provision through his death to overcome the flesh. I am not to live in self-dependence in Romans 7. And I'm a, I am to pro- appropriate the power of another, the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's just a really, uh, really a short summary of the Romans 6 through 8 and how we deal with practical Christian living, sanctification. Key themes in Romans 6. Our identification with Christ in his death. Nine times speaks of our co-crucifixion. We're identified in his death, burial, resurrection, and even later Paul mentions his ascension in Ephesians 1. We are seated together in heavenly places in Christ. So we are identified with him in his death. When Christ died, you died. The sin nature, transmitted sin, is used, as we saw, 17 times, Romans 6, 14 times, and Romans 7. So he deals with the old sin nature that's driving uh, sin, sin, sin uh, plural. We'll see the believer's new relationship to the sin nature and victory over it. We have a new legal relationship to the sin nature. Sin nature no longer has to have master or tyranny over the born-again believer. And once again, that doesn't mean that a Christian cannot practice sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that power has been broken. We don't have to yield to the flesh. We don't have to obey it. Obey that old master. We have not not imputed righteousness in Romans uh, 6, but imparted righteousness. Uh, Romans 6.13, for instance, 
do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is God's imparted righteousness. And uh, so... um, Romans six sixteen do not know do you not know that to whom you present yourselves yourselves slaves to obey you are that one slaves to whom you obey whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness and so we have that phrase used in Romans six thirteen sixteen eighteen nineteen and twenty imparted righteousness imparted righteousness to live the Christian life we already have imputed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we need practical righteousness imparted. Uh, grace for sanctification. We'll see that sanctification is not by the law. And Romans 7, by the way, indicates that. Uh, we are not sanctified by going back to the Mosaic law. The old husband is dead. <laughs> we could be married to another, a new. We married married to Christ. But the, the tyrannical old husband is dead. Um and so Romans 7 deals with that, our, our relationship to the law. But also Romans 6, verse 14, notice this verse. For sin, the old sin nature, shall not have dominion over you, reign as king. For you are not under law, the system of law, but under the system of grace, under the government of grace, grace norms and standards, grace enablement. Uh, the Christian life is is by grace. We grow in grace. So we live in the dispensation of the grace of God, and we appropriate what God provides to live a godly life. That's grace. And therefore, he's not talking about saving grace here. He's talking about the government of grace. We are under grace norms and standards. And therefore, we need to, we need to appropriate grace for sanctification. The law will bring failure and frustration. Faith application of our co-crucifixion, another another important thing. We need to apply what we understand in our judgment of our old sin nature by faith. Uh, And so, therefore, we need to know, yield, and reckon. We do that by faith, believing our identity in Christ Jesus. And so we have to apply those things by faith. And those three words, reckon, Romans 6, 11, let not, or stop, Romans 6, 12, and then yield Romans six thirteen. So we do so by faith. And the question is, are we going to be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness? We have that option as a believer. Certainly, it's depending who whose master we listen to. Who are we going to listen to? We're we going to listen to the old master, or are we going to listen to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Romans six. 17 and 18. Now, the believer, therefore, is positionally delivered from the power of the sin nature. And what is that nature? It's a disposition or a bent that is inherited from Adam. We call it inherited sin. So we have a bent toward ungodliness in us. All believers have that bent. Unsaved people have that bent. We also have a bent toward ungodliness. Godliness and ungodliness. We have a new nature as well. So we have two natures that are competing, uh, and then we need. Therefore, we need the power of another, the Holy Spirit. Some have called this a Mexican standoff. Here, watched a western where two gunfighters draw at the exact same time. 
it's a Mexican stand, standoff. So you have the old sin nature demanding its way. We have the new nature demanding its way. And so we have a Mexican standoff. So what do we do? Well, we rely upon the Calvary coming over the hill, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's how you deal with the Mexican standoff. <laughs> So uh, we have a nature that's inherited from Adam that is bent towards sin. But there's a legal operation, and God's a surgeon. He performed a surgery at the point of new birth so that we no longer have to live uh, by the tyranny of the old nature. This is called spiritual circumcision. Let's look at Colossians 2.11. Colossians 2.11 speaks of spiritual circumcision. Now we know that cutting off of the flesh, we won't get into the details there of physical circumcision. You know how that works. But think about the cutting away in the spiritual sense of the domination of the sin nature over the body. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So here the Gentiles were uncircumcised and they were identified here and called by the circumcision made without hands. They were alienated alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and so forth. But there is a legal operation that the Lord performed at the point of new birth. And I'll show you here. Let me illustrate it. He circumcised us. And I uh, think, uh, by the way, um, let me look at one more verse here. Philippians um, 3, verse 3. Yeah, Philippians 3.3. We are, are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So, this sin nature's relationship has been severed. Here's a surgical knife. So here's a spiritual circumcision. Colossians 2.11, Romans 6.7. So the sin nature has been, is tyranny has been cut away from the body. The sin nature is not eradicated, but its mastery over the body has been broken. Uh, Romans chapter 6 speaks of being uh, who person who has died has been free from sin and so that freeing is from the tyranny of the mastery of the old sin nature so the lord performed that surgery and therefore we no longer have to listen to the old sin nature and its mastery now let's go into the Romans 6 itself we're going to look go through uh, quickly through this uh, chapter here what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that's usually the argument that the unsaved, um, when they hear about saved by grace through faith, and that nothing you can add to can ever uh, earn eternal life, they said, well, if I believe that, that you're eternally secure, that you're saved by God's grace, I would go out and live like the devil. Why do you want to do that? <laughs> uh, no, uh, he, we realize that we have a new relationship to the old sin nature. We no longer have to live according to the flesh. We died to sin. And that's a sanctification term in, in Romans 6 too. Now, when we go back just a 
few uh, verses, verse 20, the question in Romans 6, 1 uh, is uh, connected to the end of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace superabounded. So if sin, uh, uh, where sin abounded, grace is even bounding much more, the question is, well, why don't we continue in sin that grace may abound even further? <laughs> and that's the, that's the human argument. And the idea is, no, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer there to it? Meaning, we have a new legal relationship that wasn't there before. We have the ability to walk by means of the Spirit. Now, um, a couple notes on this. Uh, the born-again believer sustains a new relationship with the old sin nature. The old sin nature's complete control has been broken. We die with Christ. And therefore, we have to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. We died to sin. And therefore, we have the ability because to overcome the flesh because we're identified with Christ in his death. And notice in verse 3, Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, this is not water baptism as some denominations teach. Um, you hear many times in your water baptism, you know, buried with him, risen in newness of life, that phrase, and taken out of Romans 6. But Lewis Berry Chafer said this is spirit baptism. The Spirit of God incorporated us into the body of Christ and therefore we were identified with Christ in his death. We're baptized into Christ and that occurs at the moment of faith alone in Christ alone. That is called retroactive positional truth. Now, uh, don't get caught up with that fancy term. Basically, it means what Christ did 2,000 years ago is applied to us today. When, we, when, we, when, when we're born again, we are identified with Christ in his death. We're co-crucified with him. So, we were identified with Christ. We were baptized into his death. We were buried with him. Notice verse 4. Um, and so, our old relationship to the sin nature is like a person who is dead and in the grave. We no longer have to listen to the old sin nature. We're buried with him. That old life is in the past. Now, notice here, it doesn't automatically mean that we live a godly life, but this phrase here in verse 4, even so we also should walk in what kind of life? Newness of life. A new quality of life. We can walk in a fresh new quality of life for the first time in our life. Isn't that amazing? I can walk by means of the Spirit, produce godly character and fruit in my life, and I couldn't do that before, dominated by the flesh. There's no way I could have ever done that. But now because of my identity in Christ, I can walk in a new quality of life. And that's a wonderful truth. So we are identified with Christ in his death. Notice also the word should. We have a subjunctive mood. We have a uh, uh, peripateo. Literally it means to walk around. Um, but the idea is we this the verb here is aorist. And it's a subjunctive mood. Subjunctive means it may or may not happen. Uh, so it, he doesn't guarantee that we will walk in newness of light, but that we should. That's why the New King James translators add, added the word should. It's in the verb there. We should walk in newness of life, subjunctive mood. 
Now, verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man was crucified, who we were before we were saved. We saw that first slide with the cross over the old man dominated by the flesh. That was us in the past. That's been crucified with him. That this body dominated by the sin nature, the body of sin, might be rendered inoperative. We don't have to listen to the flesh. So that, here it is, so that we no longer should be slaves of sin. That slavery relationship that was in existence before we were saved has been broken. And therefore we don't have to listen to that old drill sergeant anymore. <laughs> or slave owner. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are emancipated. We are free. Uh, in verse 7 it says, He who has died has been freed from sin. We are emancipated from the tyranny of the flesh. Now let's go forward here. Notice in verse 10, Christ died to sin once for all. He took care of that, that judgment when he died on the cross. So not only did Jesus Christ die for our sins to give us justification, he died to sin, judging the sin nature to give us sanctification. And again, I, I, the hymn, Be of Sin, the Double Cure, Save from Wrath and Make Me Pure. Now that may have a connotation of both justification and sanctification. So it's interesting a hymn writer may have understood that Christ's death not only provided for our justification, but for our Christian living, our walk. He died to sin once for all. This is a provision of what Christ provided when he died on the cross. And therefore, how do we apply that? We saw the words reckon, uh, stop, yield, and go. We have reckon. That legitimai means to think about. It's an accounting term. To consider, meditate on that. Uh, that uh, my sin nature has been judged. Jesus Christ uh, identified with me in his crucifixion. He broke that tyranny. And therefore, I have a new relationship. I'm dead to that. But now I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not to let sin reign as mortal uh, as king in my mortal body in verse 12 that I should obey its desires. Notice, very interesting that the desires of the flesh come from a nature of sin. Very important theology in verse 12. And so we have like in James 1, everyone is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires. And we have the lust that come from a nature that's been away from God. So sin is at its root of sin. Sins or sins, S-I-N-S, comes from S-I-N. Okay? I sin because I have a sin nature. And by the way, what is this? We see this distinction, by the way, also in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, uh, verse 8 and 10. And I think verse 8, as Chafer said, if we say that we have no sin nature, we have eradicated our sin nature, S-I-N, singular, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not personally sinned, sins coming from a nature, we make him a liar and this word is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to own up the wrongdoing. So we can never say that we don't sin anymore. We can never say that we have no 
nature of sin as well. So there's that important distinction between a nature of sin and acts of sin that come from that nature. Let's go back to our, our passage in Romans 6. So we have the application there of uh, reckon yourself to be dead in sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 12. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, meaning that our body parts are not weapons to indulge the old sin nature. But we are to dedicate, yield ourselves to God, present our bodies as being alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And we do that by faith. We yield our body. Lord, control my body. It's there for your use. It's there for your service. And you can produce righteousness through me as I yield to you. And then also the uh, the uh, grace government that gives us the ability to uh, overcome the flesh in the sin nature. We saw that in verse 14. And then verse 15 is similar to verse 1, uh, but I think there's a subtle difference. What shall we then? Shall we? What then? Shall we commit acts of sin because we are not under law but under grace? And the idea is certainly not. Well, shall we sin occasionally uh, because we are not? Now we we know that we're not to be dominated. We're not to be controlled by the flesh. But he says, shall we sin occasionally because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. He talks about who do you yield to? Do you yield your body as a slave to sin, or do you yield your body to the Lord as and and then therefore produce the Lord can produce righteousness through you? Notice in the past, verse seventeen, you were slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, the teaching to which you were delivered, the form of teaching that he just explained. Uh, the idea of by faith we can overcome the sin nature because the sin nature has been judged. Verse 19 says we have been set free from sin nature. And therefore we can become now a slave of righteousness. Think about that. That's a different relationship, isn't it? I can be enslaved to godly living <laughs> versus enslaved to the flesh. Wonderful truth. Um he talks about slaves of uncleanness in verse 19. Uh, so we have here, let's take a look at, um, you were slaves of sin. Notice that. You were slaves of sin, verse 20. And notice verse 22, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. And then verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Now keep in mind, we use this as an evangelistic verse so-called Romans Road. (laughs) But this is the sanctification section of Romans, not the justification. So we know that if we continue under the tyranny of the flesh, we yield to the flesh, that produces death, right? The outcome of that paycheck is death. (laughs) But God's gift is eternal life. I think the idea is not only the fact that we have eternal life when we believe, but out of that eternal life we have the ability to walk in newness of life so verse 23 I think we can look at it in terms of Christian living because of what Christ provided for us eternal life we can live in a new quality of life uh, a godly life now uh, 
let's deal with the law so some people say okay that's great what christ provided but you know i need the law in order to live the godly life and therefore i got to go back under the uh, ten commandments or 613 norms and standards and in order to live a godly life and we have a new relationship to not only the uh, sin nature legally but we also have a uh, we have broken our relationship to the law we are no longer under law but under grace remember Romans 6.14 I would write in the margin here because we are not under the law as a system as a believer we are now under a system of grace so we're not sanctified by keeping the law you know Paul wrote the book of Galatians and dealt with the issue of law in relationship to justification as well as law in relationship to sanctification he addresses both issues in Galatians and uh, Galatians is very clear that we are not justified by keeping the law and uh, let's take a look at the book of Galatians here and we want to look at uh, Galatians 2 teaches some of the same things that Romans I would study Galatians alongside Romans there's a similarity there in, in many of these passages notice the crucifixion with Christ here, there's your identity with Christ in verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh this body I live by what? faith there it is and the son of God who loved me and gave himself through me I do not set aside the grace of God for righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain there was no need of him coming to this earth and dying for me if I could be godly by living according to the law think about that there would be no need at all so um, then he addresses the issue of sanctification by grace notice uh, Galatians 3 2 this only I want to learn from you did you receive the spirit Holy Spirit by the works of the law by being obedient to the law no how did you receive the Spirit? The hearing of faith. Holy Spirit came to indwell when you believed. And therefore, why are you trying to be godly by keeping the law versus walking in the power of another? And that's the argument here. In verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun your Christian life in the Spirit, in the realm of the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh, self-dependence under the law? Um, therefore, this uh, he addresses sanctification by faith so justification by faith and sanctification by faith are themes of not only romans but galatians now let's go fast forward here to look at um i think it's the chapter uh five of galatians look at five here so having been set free from the tyranny of the law what are we to do? Go back under slavery? No. Verse 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty, freedom, by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now what is the yoke of bondage? It's the law. We know that because the book of Acts, Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem Council, he uses that exact same phrase. And he refers to the law, Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law cannot enable us to live a godly life we need the power of the holy spirit we need to reckon on our position in christ we need to realize the power of sin has been broken um 
And therefore, if you want to go back under law for sanctification, verse 3, it says you're a debtor to keep the whole thing. <laughs> I testified every man who becomes circumcised. You want to add one little requirement, just circumcise. Just add the, that to Gentiles. You know, just Let's do a little ritual and think we're godly because of that. He said you're obligated to keep the whole system, the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. Your fellowship has been broken as a believer. So we have the idea of loss of fellowship. Uh, you who attempt to be justified by a law, you have fallen from grace, meaning the grace way of Christian living. And how, is, how do we live the Christian life by grace? Verse 5, we through the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And we know we have Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fill the lust of the flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks about being directed by the Spirit of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're not under the system of law. And so forth. So uh, this really goes hand in hand with our section, Romans chapter 6. Now let's take a look at Romans 7 then. A new relationship to uh, the law. The law is pictured as a dead husband who was a tyrant. (laughs) wasn't a good husband this poor widow uh, had to bear this unbearable tyrant and then he finally died (laughs) do you not know for I speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives legally but the husband dies one exception to remarriage here she is released from the law of her husband She's legally allowed to marry someone another. That old relationship has been what? Done away with, broken through death. She has a new relationship now. She's free to marry another. I don't think he's simply teaching about, you know, widows can remarry. That's not really the main point of this section. He's talking about, he's using that example to show our relationship to the Mosaic Law. And notice here... If while her husband lives, she's married to another, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So she is no no longer an adulteress, though she'd be married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law. And so we have a new legal relationship to the law, through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another. Who's that? Not to the law, but to him who is raised from the dead, Christ that we should bear fruit to God. Our relationship with Christ. Remember John 15 says what? Abide in the vine. Right? And you shall produce what? He In John 15 we go from producing no fruit to more fruit to much fruit to fruit that remains. Abide in Christ. And that's how godly living is produced through us. Our relationship with Christ now. We're not married to that system of law. We now are related to Christ. And it's through Christ that uh, we can live a Christian life. By the way, when Paul ends up in Romans 7 in frustration, what does he say? We'll just fast forward to the end of the chapter. He mentions this very fact. He throws himself, he throws up his hands in frustration in verse 24, trying to live in self-dependence. O wretched man that I, who shall deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? No, who? A person. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord 
so that the mind, I may serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. And he talks about our relationship in Christ Jesus. So it's by the power of another. It's by the provision of Christ. Going back to this legal relationship to the law has been broken early in chapter 7. So verse 6 says, we have been delivered from the law. Notice verse 4 says we're dead to the law. And then verse 6 says we're delivered from the law. Delivered from the law. And we can add many passages in the book of Hebrews, by the way, that shows the born-again believer is not under the system of the Mosaic law. Understand that. The Mosaic law. And we are delivered from that. Having died to what we were held so that we should serve in what? How do we serve God? Newness of the Spirit. Not in oldness of the letter. The law was written on tablets of stone. We serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? That if we walk by means of the Spirit, God will produce godly fruit through us. Through us. As we walk by faith. Now, Paul talks about as a, I think, Christian and the tyranny of the flesh. We won't go into detail in that, but I want to get to the point to where he struggles with the old sin nature and the new nature is this Mexican standoff in verse 14. And I highlighted here, and it's helpful in your Bible if you can distinguish the two eyes. Lewisbury Chafer, by the way, uh, in his book, He That Is Spiritual, distinguishes between the flesh and the new nature and the two eyes. And I'm going to read it. I have the old nature highlighted in gray, the eye, and the new nature in green. So that's how I highlight it here. Let's just read it that way. For what I, the old nature, am doing, I, the new nature, do not understand. For what I, the new nature, will to do. Notice the new nature has a desire. That I, the old, do not practice. For what I, the new nature, hate... The nature doesn't want to sin, that I do. If then I, the old nature, do what I, the new, will not do, not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it's no longer I, the new nature, who do it, but here's the problem. It's sin that dwells in me. Sin singular dwells where? In my body. Sin nature is resident in the body. It's a principle of sin that dwells in me that's causing this. Now, notice he also describes it as the flesh in verse 18. For I know that in me, that is my body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. Now, I would say the will would be the new nature. The new nature desires to do godly, to live godly. But here's the issue. And this is the big issue, I think, that few people address the how-to. How-to. You know, I may tell you to rebuild an engine in a car. I have no ability to do that. Maybe some mechanics do, but you might say, how? You know, or you ever have a Christmas present and it has all different kind of pieces and we got to put this chair together or this item together, this bicycle together. That's great that we have it, but how do I put it together? (laughs) God demands certain things about God and living, but... How do I do it? 
Schaefer said it this way. I like the way he, he stated it. Across thousands of churches, every Sunday, you can summarize their message with two words. Be good. Be good. But what they fail to teach you is how to be good. That's very important. It's not only do we need to know what to do, but how to do it, right? How can I live this godly Christian life? And uh, so he has desire. That's not lacking. There are a lot of people that desire to live godly, and I would say they try and they end up in failure, but how? The how-to. The how-to is the key issue. So that's a key uh, key verse there, I think. Uh, and the frustration is how? Um, now, look at uh, verse uh, 19. Uh, for the good that I, the new nature, will do, will to do, I, the old, do not. But the evil, I, the new, will not to do, that I, the old, practice. Now, if I do what I, the new nature, will not to do, it is no longer I, the new, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find then a principle. The word law there, by the way, is not the Mosaic law, verse 21. It means a principle. That word, nomos, can be translated as a principle. I find generally a rule of thumb or principle that evil is present with me. You have a nature that's bent as a Christian toward ungodliness. The one who wills to do good. I, I desire to do good, but I find this principle of evil is in me. I'm sure you all, all have all been frustrated in your lives at times when you desire to live a godly life, but you're doing the opposite. And uh, this is really frustrating. For I delight in the law of a God according to the inward man. Now, some people say Romans 7 is Paul when he was unsaved. And this is not true. He's not delighting to do the law of God according to the inward man before he's saved. No, this is Paul as a Christian. But he's living in carnality. This will be the picture of the carnal Christian. Always ends in frustration. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another principle in my members, in my body again, these body parts, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into what? Captivity. There's that slavery metaphor there again. That slavery picture we saw in Romans 6. Captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Frustration, oh wretched man, I. (laughs) Throws up his hands in defeat. A lot of Christians live their life in defeat. The word wretched, J. McGee says this, the word wretched carries with it the note of exhaustion because of struggle. I'm exhausted. I struggle with the flesh and I fail. Who will deliver me? Notice it's a person. Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Romans 8.1 this great chapter on the believer's security, but we still have to keep in mind he's continuing the theme of justification. Now, we have to realize what God provided for us for sanctification. And and therefore, verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I know some of your translations, New American Standard leaves out that phrase. There's a textual variant there. Some say this was incorporated from verse 4 
who do not walk according to flesh but according to spirit. Notice, many times a copyist would uh, copy a line and then as you sometimes read down through the line, you repeat the earlier line. And therefore we have their repetition. But I believe though, this uh, verse 1 should be there because he's dealing with sanctification we take normally Romans 8 1 as a justification it's true those in Christ are not condemned but the idea is the one who walks according to the flesh that person is walking in fellowship one who walks according to the spirit now verse 2 for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death again the new relationship uh, you're, you're free from the law we sing a hymn free from the law O happy condition Jesus is mine and there's sweet remission I like verse 3 for all the law keepers for what the law could not do <laughs> that's what we need what could the law the law could not make you godly the law cannot make you righteous. So many people try to live by the law. The law cannot do what the law could not do. Boy, we need to highlight that today. Was the problem with God's holy law? You say, was there a fault in God revealing the holy, His holy standard? Was the problem with the law? No. Where does the problem lie? It tells us. The sinful flesh. That's the problem. The problem is not with God's standards problems with the flesh and that's what you need to deal with you can try all day long to live by the ten commandments and live by the golden rule and do all those things and you're going to fail if you don't realize that I can live by the power of another you'll end up in frustration what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh God did by sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh he's not sinful but he identified with us humanity on account of sin, he condemned sin in his body. Once again, Romans 6, he died to sin. So that what? The righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice, the law's requirements can be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, not by self-dependence, Romans 7, but according to the Spirit. So I can produce godly fruit as I walk by means of the power of another. He's not trying harder, not going back to the law and trying to fulfill it in the flesh. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. What the law demanded can be fulfilled by the believer who understands those truths. The Spirit produces power through us. Now, what does this mean in a practical sense? Just like Romans 6, we have co-crucifixion, but we have some practical ways to apply that by faith, reckon, yield, we have practical ways to apply this truth. It's what we think on. Right? Do we set our mind on things of the flesh? Or do we set our mind on the Word of God? Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. You are what you think. Right? But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And that's the, that was the, the things revealed in the scripture. To be carnally minded is death. Now this is for the believer. Remember, uh, I, I would put Romans 6.23. Wages of sin is what? Death. Speak, he's saying the same thing here. 
if I'm thinking in a fleshly mindset, that only produces death. The wages of sin is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's a spiritual Christian. I'm mindful of the things of the Spirit. That brings peace in my life. That is walking in what? Newness of life. Newness of life. The carnal mind is enmity against God. You know, James says a friend of this world is what? An enemy of God. My carnal mind is not sub. Is not uh, is against God's standards. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor can be. So then those in the flesh cannot please God. I think here he's referring to the unsaved, the natural man. It's interesting. He has a carnal man, verse 7. We have the natural man in the flesh in verse 8. And then we have the spiritual man in verses 9 and following. So we had the three types of humanity in this. Those who are in the flesh positionally cannot please God. So the unsaved person cannot please God. But verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh, in that spear, but in the spirit of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, the spirit of God indwells all believers. Um, and Christ is in you, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And we'll just fast forward to some of these verses, but it's great to see the power of the spirit of God available for Christian living in this section. Verse 11, But the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus dwells in you. He does. Uh, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That really boggles my mind to think the same power that resurrected the Savior is in me as a Christian. Same Holy Spirit. Same enablement to live for Him. Wow. We're debtors not to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. I think again, carnality, carnal Christian. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are just the adult sons of God. Now the word weos means not simply technon, a child of God, meaning that born again, but here are the adult sons of God. You're a mature Christian if you're led by the Spirit. Now what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? The context is is dealing with godly living. Okay? I'm led by the Spirit if the Spirit produces joy through me and peace and patience and kindness. That's being led by the Spirit. It's not, oh, the Spirit spoke to me to take a left-hand turn instead of a right-hand turn. Spirit told me to tell you X, Y, and Z. And always in those situations, I'm asking, I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Why didn't the Spirit tell me to do that? (laughs) Next time someone's the Spirit told me to say this to you. Okay. Why? Well, just tell the Spirit to talk to me. <laughs> now, we got a mystical view of being led by the Spirit. <laughs> led by the Spirit. But if you read the context, it's talking about godly living. That's how the Spirit leads. Uh, putting to death the deeds of the body. Notice connecting word. Four. Verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Now, you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you see the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, cry out, Daddy, Father. We are adopted. And therefore the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And so a wonderful truth here that he sets us up for suffering. 
Now he addresses the issue of suffering by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we try to divorce this from the rest of the context. We have to realize this is a sanctification section and is encouraging us to live a godly life by the power of the Spirit because of reward. The sufferings of these, this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory. There's ultimate sanctification or glorification which shall be revealed in us. He talks about the creation being delivered from its bondage. And we wait for a deliverance, the redemption of our body in verse 23. That's our glorification. We are saved in this spirit of hope. And so we have confidence. And it's the spirit of God that helps us in our infirmities. And he makes intercession for us or groanings which cannot be uttered. And therefore, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Notice he didn't say all things work together for every believer. The condition is those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And the God's plan is mentioned the fivefold golden chain in verse 29 and 30. But I just want to highlight, though, those he justified, then we also glorify. He's talking about glorification again. Our certain destiny, our, our future is secure. That should motivate us to godly living, right? Knowing that we have a future glorification. Again, related to how we deal with suffering. We don't give up. We don't, we don't faint. But we have hope. God has a bright future for us. And therefore, if he did not spare his own son, how should he not with all also give us freely all things? All things. He's not going to condemn us. He's making intercession for us, verse 34. And therefore, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, including tribulation. No suffering here in verse 35. That's not, that will not separate us from the love of Christ and the believer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can live a sanctified life because of God's love for us. And then nothing will be able to separate us, even things to come. I'll finish reading 38 and 39. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, Satan's demons, we could say, nor things present, nor things to come, that covers it all, things from above, things below, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's wonderful when you think about godly living, that as we go through trials and testing, the Lord still loves us. He wants us his best for his children. Therefore, let's walk in his ability and what he provides by grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for this great sanctification section of Romans. Help us to understand practically how to apply these things in our life and live the life of faith. And uh, we pray, Father, that we might reckon on our position and identity in Christ Jesus the power that you provide, the judgment of the sin nature, and understand we don't have to live according to the desires of the flesh, but we can continue to walk in newness of life. So help us to learn how to do that as we set our mind on things above. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.